listening to the Retro Reprise podcast in association with NerdyLegion.com. Here's your host, Adam S.L. Welcome to Retro Reprise. I am Adam S.L. And uh, today I have a ton of stuff to go over. And uh, so we're just going to jump right into everything. So first of all, I want to thank everybody who has stuck around uh, and who's kind of been very patient with me as I've kind of sparsely put out or actually not put out any uh, podcasts. And I explained why in the previous podcast. It's a bonus podcast called My Mom. Uh, For those of you who are joining me for the first time, I'm going to give a quick sum up uh, and uh, go over that real quickly. So... Uh, basically what happened is that my, my mom has a cancer called multiple myeloma. It's a blood cancer, but it also affects your bones. It's very, uh, it's very debilitating. Uh, it basically turns your, your puts holes in your bones and, and makes them super fragile. Uh, anyway, seven years ago for her multiple myeloma, she went through a stem cell replacement treatment, which ended up extending her life, uh, three years past the expected, uh, or life expectancy of this particular cancer. Um, so seven years ago, that's what they had done to, to extend her life. Um, the treatment has pretty much worn off now. So she had to go back in to get the treatment, uh, again. Uh, one of the things that they were worried about was that uh, even though you, you still have this treatment, your body is still degrading slowly over time. Uh, and one of the things that the doctors were concerned about was her heart, whether her heart could take the the uh, advanced, there's a very harsh chemo that you have to go through. Uh, there's uh, a lot of a lot of stuff that you're that's physically very harmful to your body. And anyway, uh, she went in. She had the stem cell replacement done. The stem cell replacement took that was fine, but all the medications along with the chemo and everything else that had gone on with it uh, caused her heart to stop, and she stopped breathing. Uh, as a result, they put her in a chemically induced coma for about. four four or five days. They took her out of the, out of the chemically induced coma. It took her another three to four days to actually like wake up. And then when she woke up, she didn't remember us. Uh, so to report on that, uh, I did go see my mom last Saturday. Uh, she was mostly, she's spending most of her time sleeping because this is, like I said, it's extremely hard on your body. Uh, but when she did wake up, she was uh, cognizant, and she she was remembering things, and she remembered me, and we had a conversation, and my mom was slowly returning. She doesn't remember everything, and she struggles with getting her words out, but she is doing better. So sorry about the alarm. I'm doing laundry as I do the podcast because it's, uh, it's a, a very glamorous life that I lead. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, so my mom's doing much better and I want to thank everybody out there for all their support and understanding that sometimes you got to put some things aside in order to take care of family. And, uh, I do, pl- I'm going to go see my mom later this afternoon after I'm done with the podcast and some other chores besides just doing laundry. But today I have a ton of stuff to go over. There's been things that I've been wanting to talk about that I haven't had a chance to do that yet. Uh, just because of everything that's going on. And I have a little bit of a story uh, hanging out with Dave and Michael from the 2BT podcast. So we're going to get started (laughs) with that. So last Sunday, so I saw my mom last Saturday. uh, And, 
you know, there was, uh, along with all the other stuff, you know, you get, you get other dramas that are going on in your life. And I just gotten to a point where I just needed to get out and escape. And I had uh, texted Dave and talked to him for a little bit. And they said him, uh, he said, Michael and him, were going to go out to Gainesville to visit this antique mall. Um, and Dave and I are both 90s kids, sort of. We're, we're 80s kids and 90s kids. We're Gen X. So we grew up with uh, Kevin Smith and Mall Rats. And so anytime we hear antique mall, we just call them dirt malls because uh, usually they're pretty dirty. There's usually a coat of dirt <laughs> over these things. Uh, but I, I kind of invited myself. I said, hey, can I come along? I just, I got to get out of my environment. I got to go check things out and, and do something different, get out of the house. And uh, they were very gracious to let me come along, and I really do appreciate it. <clears throat> so I met up with Dave uh, at his place, and this also gave me an opportunity to do something else. Um, I am working on a project, and uh, Dave and I actually have some – we both use Canon cameras, and so uh, I wanted to test out a, a camera lens that Dave had. And he let me do that while we were there. I will get into more details about that later because it's going to really affect this podcast as to what I'm going to be talking about. But we'll get to that much later. So I, I tried out uh, this lens that Dave has. It's the Nifty 50 kit lens for a lot of Canon cameras. So a lot of like the TI3 uh, or T3Is. Uh, I, th I think they're up to the 7s now. I'm not sure. Um, but it's usually their EF lenses. Um probably stuff that you guys don't really know about or care about all that much. But anyway, um, it's one of those things I've, I've picked up a, a camera recently and I wanted to try out that lens. So he let me try it out and it's really cool. They're really nice. And for a, as cheap a price as they are, uh, I think I'm going to end up getting one. Um, and I'll, like I said, I'm going to get into more details about that later on in the podcast, but that was one of the things I wanted to do was go try out that lens and Dave let me do it, which, uh, now I'm, really sold on it. So I'll need to get one. Anyway, uh, we head up to Gainesville to go check out this antique mall. And, um, this place is really cool. So when, when I talk about dirt malls or antique malls, uh, and I don't know how this is in other areas, but in Texas specifically, we have these, uh, usually they're at the town square and this was sort of the same deal. We have one in Denton where it's at the town square, you have, what they call the antique mall. And what people do is they lease out uh, a little piece of space at these antique malls and then um, just basically label their stuff, put a number on it or whatnot. And then when you go and pick that item up and you go check out in the front, they take a tag off or they write the number down and then they pay the person who, who had that item in their, in their section of the store. Um, a lot of times with these places, it's a mix of really cool stuff or just crap that should have been in a garage sale and didn't make it in the garage sale and probably should have been thrown out. Uh, the one in the one in town that we have, a lot of it's useless garage sale stuff. Uh, they have some neat things, but for the most part, it's it's usually stuff that should have been thrown out a while ago. So we are wandering around this dirt mall, and uh, apparently this is a place that, that Michael frequents, and it's actually really cool. They, they do have honest antique stuff there. Uh, really odd collectibles, um, 
a lot of different cup sets, stuff like that. But it still has that dirt mall feel because a lot of these things have collected dirt over time. So if you pick up a box or something like that, you know, expect to have your fingerprints show up on it because it's coated in dirt. Uh, but we go looking around and there's, uh, it's your typical fair, um, you know, odd little creepy dolls with porcelain faces and baseball cards and all sorts of sports cards of whatnot. Uh, they did have some wax packs that were that were in there, which was interesting. I'm not a card collector, so I didn't spend a whole lot of time looking at it, but it was really neat to see a lot of these um, pieces that were at, at this mall. So, um, like a lot of these, and it's odd because in the North Texas area, uh, there's not a lot of multi-story buildings that go underground, but for some reason at these old squares... Um, all these old town squares. There's a lot of buildings that go underground. Uh, we have a lot of foundation issues in North Texas. So the the weather's so up and down that you're you can go through a drought and you'll your land will dry out and it'll crack your foundation, or we'll get a lot of rain and your land will swell and it'll crack your foundation. So a lot of these town square areas that have these uh, buildings with underground portions to them to me are really fascinating because it's it's not like another part of the U.S. Like, let's say you can go to, like, Washington State. Um, there's a lot of buildings there that look like they're single-level buildings, but there's a portion of them that go underground. You know, you have, you have like, a legit basement, stuff like that. In Texas, or at least especially in uh, North Texas, you don't really have basements uh, just because of the foundation issues and stuff like that. So, uh, I always love going to these places and finding a basement area. And that's what this place had. It had an underground, you know, second story. And this is where really a lot of the cool stuff in the place was at, uh, just, just amazing collection of, of odds and ends. Uh, so I was, I'm always on the eye, I always keep an eye out for video games and, uh, they did have one video game. They had golf for the NES, uh, the Gumpai Yukoi golf game. Uh, so there's not really much to say about it. I'm not a huge golf fan. I, I never really spend a lot of time playing sports games on the, on video games, but they, they had it. That was cool. That was neat to see. Um, but, uh. We go looking around there, and we're just taking our time putzing around. Um, really, there's nothing, anything really to truly note uh, as far as finding anything super cool. But uh, I, I did see uh, there was a VHS cassette tape section, which Michael was enthralled with because apparently he just got a VCR. And um, Dave ended up finding a a bunch of Star Wars bubble bath bottles and uh, he ended up buying all of them and he ended up uh, the the woman who was there normally the the people who run these little booths or these little sections they're usually not there at the store uh, but the lady who who was uh, selling those actually was at her booth stocking it full of toys and stuff like that and so Dave was actually able to talk her down I think she wanted something like nine dollars a piece. And he ended up talking her down to $5 a piece for, for uh, each one. I think he ended up getting five or six. I don't know the exact specs. I'm sure Dave will talk about it on the 2BT podcast. But uh, he got a bunch of them. And they are, they are really cool. Um, they're cool little collector's pieces. And just uh, really awesome to look at. And uh, Michael ended up 
with a couple of bagfuls of both like uh, VHS cassette tapes. And I think he bought some books too. I, I don't remember exactly, but I think he ended up getting some, some books and some VHS cassette tapes. Uh, but I, I walked out of there empty handed. There really wasn't anything that was that intriguing to me. Um, I always like weird, wacky, um, stuff. You know, they had this weird, um, crucifixion. It was, it was like a, a it was a light that was a diorama of Christ being crucified. And then off to the right was a figurine of, uh, Mother Mary. It's a. It was a very Catholic. Uh, it was. It was in Spanish, but it was a very Catholic thing. And if you plug it in, there's like a red light that that halos behind Mary or something like that. It's really weird. I love weird, kitschy stuff like that. But what was really strange to me was that the uh, the Mary statuette. If you looked closely, uh, she's standing on. I'm assuming it's a cherub. I'm assuming it's a cherubim, but. Uh, <laughs> it was, it looks like she's standing on a baby's head. So it was just this, the statue of this like little miniature plastic cheapy statue of, uh, of Mary standing on a baby's head next to a crucified Jesus, uh, on a backdrop that was obviously taken in the late sixties, early seventies of some sort of Coliseum with like all these cars parked. I don't know if it, I mean, it's, it was obviously in Spanish, um, but to me, the background looked like it might have been Brazil during that time. I, I could be completely wrong, but it was just, it was a tremendously weird piece. And I just, I, if I had more room and I had just like infinite space to put like weird kitschy junk, I would have bought that thing because I love weird stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the whole, the whole experience was just kind of cool. There's not really a lot to talk about because we spent most of our time just sort of putzing around and looking at all the things that were there. I love doing that. I just love going to these little places that have just sort of the strangest collections, um, and usually overpriced. Uh, but just look at all the stuff that somebody at some point in time has acquired this thing and then decided it had no more value to them. So they wanted to sell it. And the only value that they have on it is what they would sell it for at these places. But uh, really, really fun time, really fun experience. So we're on our way out of the uh, antique mall. And uh, Michael says that there's a, a movie and video game place that he wants to go to. And I, it's been probably a good... 10 or 12 years since I've spent some any time in Gainesville. And I knew there was a game exchange there, and I was wondering if that's what he was talking about. Uh, so we we follow him, and it is the game exchange in Gainesville that we end up going to, and we, we walk in there. Now, I do have a memory of, of this place because um, there's a game that is one of my... I don't want to say it's like the prize top piece in my in my collection of video games but it is one of my higher highlights of my collection i had gone there a couple of years ago uh just on a whim and uh on in their counter they had the atari 2600 version of star wars the arcade game now as a kid i had heard about this game i had heard rumors about it but I'd never seen it. Anytime anybody brought up a Star Wars video game for the 2600, usually it's Empire Strikes Back. Uh, it's the Empire Strikes Back, which is okay. Um, you know, you fly around and you take out AT-ATs, and that's pretty much the game. And it's just sort of a, 
it's kind of a Defender clone, um, just Star Wars themed. And there's nothing wrong with that game. I have that game as well. It's it's fine. But the game that I always wanted and that I always had heard about but never actually seen was Star Wars the arcade game for the Atari 2600. And um, if you're not familiar with the Atari uh, Star Wars game, in arcades it was a vector graphics-based game where you're flying inside the cockpit of an X-Wing. You go and, and fight some TIE fighters and then you fly down to the surface of the Death Star and then you proceed to blow it up. And that just loops and continually gets harder and harder and harder. Uh, probably one of the, the best arcade games. Uh, just because the it's got a, a yoke for steering. It's just amazing. Uh, the 1UP arcade machines are doing a remake of that. And they're going to have some other Star Wars games in that cabinet. I think it's going to go for about $500. Uh, but really a cool, it's really one of the only arcade games that I'd absolutely want to have. I always think about games that I'd love to have uh, an arcade for, and the Star Wars arcade is one of them. I think one of the other games that I'd love to have as an arcade game is like R-Type. I love that game. I love that series. But uh, anyway, I see this uh, Star Wars, the arcade game cartridge uh, at Game Exchange, and I pick it up and it was like 30 bucks which for atari games 30 dollars isn't really much to spend on video games but for an atari 2600 game that is a bit pricey considering that most games usually range between the the buck 52 dollar range for a lot of um you know old atari games but uh, i popped it in and i played it and it is everything that i wanted it to be the controls are actually pretty good it's pretty smooth and it really is uh, a fun, a fun game that really highlights on the twenty six hundred. Um, for people who are not familiar with with that system or have they never grew up with it, uh, I find I find the Atari to be one of those systems that if you were not a part of the generation that grew up with that console, you're not really going to have an interest in it. Whereas something like the Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, things like that. Um, even if you weren't a part of that generation that had those systems, there's a lot of games on there that you'll want to play. Uh, and, and I think those kind of span generations where the, the Atari specifically, that console, uh, just was one of those systems that you had to be there. You had to grow up with it in order to appreciate it. Uh, because there's a lot of, there's a lot left to the imagination. I'll put it that way. Uh, but uh, the Star Wars arcade game for the 2600 is absolutely amazing. I'd love to get Hero for the 2600. That would be another game that I would love to have. But uh, yeah, that was my experience going to Game Exchange a few years ago. But this time, um, the store had changed quite a bit. They they brought in... This is, I think, because Gainesville is so... Far north, it's it's nearly bordering on... It may actually border on Oklahoma. Um, usually, it's there's a lot of people. It's a smaller town. So this place is sort of turned into the central nerd location of the town. So uh, going in there this time, they had comic books and they had uh, tabletop gaming. So they had like Warhammer and stuff like that. Uh, they've dedicated a significant portion of the store to tabletop gaming and comic books, which I thought was really cool. Um, and uh, they didn't have their Sega Genesis games out. I looked in the behind the counter, and they had a bunch of Genesis games packed in a the tub. Uh, they're still working on rearranging the store. 
But uh, we decided to look around there. I I don't know if uh, Dave and Michael picked up anything, but I ended up grabbing about four games. Um, so the games I got was I, I finally got uh, Dead Souls for uh, for the Xbox 360. So I've been I've been meaning to get into that series. Uh, I have been playing it a little bit. Uh, I mean, I get that it's hard and it's supposed to be hard, but it seems like it's just a grind fest so far. That's like, that's the idea of the game is you just collect souls and then power yourself up to where you can actually fight and do these battles and stuff like that. Um, so I'm not sure if I'm exactly taken with the series yet or not. I'm still playing it, trying to feel it out, see if it's something I'm I'm into. Uh, but I did pick up Max Payne one and two for the original Xbox, uh, which I remember playing those on PlayStation two. And really enjoying them. I did beat both of those games, but um, I'm kind of interested to see how well they've aged, because the graphics aren't going to look good. Um, but that was that game came out when Bullet Time and the Matrix and all that stuff was really fun and really cool. So the big thing in the the Max Payne, the big play dynamics that they had with that was that you could get into Bullet Time. You could jump in the air activate bullet time and then move your cursor over uh who you wanted to shoot and it would you know you could land hits on them because time had slowed down um but i really want to get back into it because there's some really creepy stuff that i remember from max Payne. uh there's like a level where i think it's i think it's like a, a drug trip where he's like remembering his dead baby or something like that and you you have to walk this trail of blood the, the whole screen's pretty much black except for this like bright trail of blood and you have to stay on that trail of blood and if you're just a pixel off your uh, max falls off the screen and dies but the whole time you're you're tracing this blood around uh there's like a crying baby in the background it's creepy as hell uh, I don't know if games would do that these days to be honest with you but it's it is one of those things it's like wow I I'm going to have to go back and play that and see what that's like. But I did get Max Payne 1 and 2. Uh, I haven't played the the Max Payne 3, um, you know, setup. I, I really haven't... I don't have a console to do it, uh, but I'm not really that interested in it. It looks kind of like your typical game where Max Payne, back in the day, had a, uh, had a, a particular flavor to it. it. It just had something about it that made it interesting. And uh, then I also picked up King of Fighters 11 because I'm a huge fighting game nut. So I got King of Fighters 11 for the PlayStation 2. So I got an Xbox 360 game, two original Xbox games, and a PS2 game because I was looking through their cartridges and I had everything. (laughs) So all the games that they had for sale, I pretty much had a copy of. I didn't need to get one. Uh, so my, my CD based collection of stuff is starting to grow because I, I have a lot of the cartridges of the original games that I want to get. Uh, then we headed back home, uh, stopped off at Dave's again and Dave gave me a package that he's been holding on to probably for a good month, month and a half now. Uh, Dennis from, uh, Nerdy Legion actually sent me a, a little package and it was really, really cool. And I need to send him a tweet and thank you. Uh, so what Dennis sent me was, uh, I, I love Transformers, but it's one of those things that I already have like this massive game collection and I'm really nervous about 
collecting anything else. I don't want to like start a collection. Uh, but this, these are really cool. Um, and these are things that I'm going to keep and put somewhere. Uh, but what Dennis sent me was, uh, a bag full of transformers and specific transformers, uh, Soundwave, who is my absolute favorite transformer of all time, even over Optimus Prime, who's really cool, but Soundwave is better. And then Blaster. Uh, so not only did I get Soundwave and Blaster, but I got a massive amount of the cassette transformers, the little mini cassettes. And the thing is, I've been trying to like find out who all of these things are, and I haven't I haven't found all of them yet. But there's you have uh, you have Ravage and Ratbat and Laserbeak and Rumble, and I can't remember the other dude, but they are they are in there. And then there's the little Autobot robot ones. And then there are ones that I didn't even know existed. Uh, Transformer types. So there's like a T-Rex. There's a Stegosaurus. There's a lion of some sort. I didn't even know all of these were were out there for the cassettes. And um, what's funny is that yesterday I went out to go get my oil changed at, at a Walmart and I you know, you got to go kill time. So I go over to the toy section. They have reissues of the uh, mini cassette transformers. They're super expensive as hell for a package of two. It's like 20 bucks, but you can get uh rumble. And I think it was uh laser beak or ravage. I think it's like rumble and ravage uh, in a, in a, their reissues. They look ex- almost the coloring is off just a little bit but they look like the original G1 Transformers. It's really, really cool. But yeah, um, Dennis from Nerdy Legion. Oh my God, dude, thank you. That the, That's so amazing. They are really cool. Um, and a lot of them have their weapons uh, and all sorts of stuff. Just a really, really cool thing to uh, pick up. And yeah, Soundwave is my absolute favorite. He, he is probably my most favorite transformer um mostly because uh i love vocoders and that's the that's the synth voice sound stuff that comes out of uh (laughs) comes out of Soundwave. so uh yeah frank welker does the voice and then they they process them through a vocoder um what's funny is that at times the mix isn't always there. So when you hear Frank Welker speak, you can actually hear the voice he's doing. So he does a voice for Soundwave. But it sounds like this. He sounds like Dr. Claw. But when he talks, he talks like this. And then they put the vocoder stuff over his voice. And that's where you're getting the the Soundwave uh, sound, the vocal sound for him. So just super tremendous uh, Dennis, thank you so much. I'm going to be sending you a thank you very, very soon. But that was my trip last week with uh, Dave and Michael from the 2BT podcast. So uh, I'm sure they're going to have the other version of that. Uh, my memory isn't always fantastic, but it, I'm sure they're going to talk about it. So check out their podcast. Maybe you can tie the two together and get a full story of what we are, what we did last Sunday which I had a blast, guys. Thank you so much for letting me hang out with you. So now we're going to talk about some video game stuff, some things that I've been wanting to talk about for a long time, a few weeks at least. So this, some of this news is going to be old if you keep up with this. Um, 
and if you're not aware of these things happening, then uh, stick around because this is this is really good. So, first things first, the the episode's called Future Retro Goodness, and this is why because this seems to be like one of the best times to be someone who's interested in retro games. Uh, not only is the retro gaming market um, actually becoming a little bit more affordable, sort of there was a retro trend that was going on for a while where game prices were skyrocketing up, especially for NES and, and Super Nintendo games. Those prices are kind of hanging around the same area, but I, I have noticed them dropping a, a little bit. Um, but more or less, companies are finally jumping on the bandwagon and creating uh, reissues and things like that. So that's what I want to get into today. So the first thing I want to talk about, of course, is the TurboGrafx-16 Mini. Um, I've already pre-ordered mine. I've talked about it before in other podcasts. But uh, for someone like myself who I've always wanted a TurboGrafx-16, uh, this is going to have pretty much all the game library that I would ever want um, and trim a lot of the fat that's on there. Of course, that's being released by Konami because Konami actually owns... Uh, is, it, is it Hudson? I think it's Hudson. Uh, so Konami owns a significant por- portion of Hudson, and the console was built between NEC and Hudson, uh, which I thought they were the same company, but I think they're two separate companies. I can't remember exactly. But that's the first one I want to talk about is the TurboGrafx-16 Mini. Uh, they've added some games to it, so we are finally going to get um, Splatterhouse, which was a big... I think that was one of the big system sellers for it, uh, Splatterhouse. So... We're gonna get Splatterhouse finally. That was added in with like seven games that are that are that they had added to the list of games that they were gonna do with that. And of course, just around the corner, we're we're getting the Sega Genesis Mini. Uh, and with this one, there's a bunch of additional information that I want to shoot out there. So the Sega Genesis Mini is being released on the 19th of this month, and I think it's going for I want to say it's going for about 70 bucks. Now, the system comes with, uh, I believe it comes with two three-button controllers. Uh, but if you want to get the six-button versions, those will be available to through another company called Retrobit. And to be perfectly honest with you, Retrobit has been killing it this year as far as their announcements are concerned. So a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about uh, comes from Retrobit and all the stuff that they're releasing. So like I said, you can get a six-button controller from Retrobit, which is fantastic. Um, but what happened was that Retrobit got the license from Sega to create their Sega, re- basically recreate their Sega Genesis controllers. And they're supposed to be high-end, high-spec, almost exactly like the original uh, Genesis controllers from back in the 90s. So, there's a couple things that I really like. They have a six-button Sega Genesis controller that is clear blue plastic, and the thing is just gorgeous. Uh, But not only do they make it for the original Sega Genesis, but they've got a USB version of it. So, if you get the USB versions, those will work on the Sega Genesis Mini. They're designed to work with it. So, um, that's really cool if you're thinking about getting the Genesis Mini. There's so many good games on that system. So if you've never collected Genesis or if if you're a normie and you're like, hey, I remember some Genesis games. They were kind of fun. This system's going to be worth picking up um, because the, the list of games on it, some of them are a little bit more obscure, but the, they're all really good, solid games that um, 
I'm sure the system can be hacked later on. Well, I'm sure we'll find out after the day it's released that you can hack it. But for the most part, you're really not going to need to. There may be a game that you specifically want on there that that may not be on there. But the list of games is super, super solid uh, and really worth uh, picking up. If you if you don't have a Genesis, I unfortunately have a Genesis. I can't justify buying one for myself. Now I don't have a Turbo Graphics 16, so I can get the Turbo Graphics 16 Mini. But I have an NES. I have a Genesis. I have a Super Nintendo. Most of the games that they have on these lists, I've got, so I don't need them. But if you don't have a Genesis and you're really thinking about picking one up, go ahead and do it. The list of games is just tremendous. I I'm not going to go over all of them because there's way too many to list. But really good stuff. Check it out if you haven't looked into it yet. But like I said, Retrobit has been really knocking these things out of the park recently. And they have done another really, uh, really cool thing. So Retrobit, I want to get into them quite a bit. If you're not familiar with them, they make clone consoles, controllers, things like that. Like I said earlier, they got the license to the official license to make Sega Genesis controllers, but um, Retrobit has really been doing a lot with its license work, and as a result, um, not only have they been doing consoles, but they've been doing re-releases of video games. Some of the stuff we've never gotten in the states, or some of the stuff that they've done is they've put together in a package so you could play them together. Um, now, I don't have the full list of games, but I will talk about some of the big ones. Uh, two of the ones that I bought. One was the R-Type Collector's Edition, um, which was released as a Super Nintendo cartridge. And it had both Super R-Type, which I already had, and R-Type 3, which is a relatively expensive, uncommon Super Nintendo game. I think it ranges in about like $80 currently, uh, just for like a, a loose cart. Uh, but this one has both games on it and uh it came with a bunch of uh, it came with pins and uh, a, a journal to write in and uh stickers and all sorts of stuff so i got the collector's edition for 80 dollars, which would have been the price of uh r-type 3 by itself anyway and i got all this kind of cool swag with it as well uh and one of the other games that they had released was uh and that i also have is uh, Holy Diver, which was a was released for the Famicom in Japan, was going to be translated and sent over to the NES, but it never they never actually followed through with it. They followed through with the translation. The game was ready to go, but they never sent it out to the U.S. market. And I don't know if it was copyright stuff. I don't know if it was just... I think it was going to come out later on in the lifespan of the Nintendo. So there was almost no point in it because the Super Nintendo had been planned at that point in time. But um, but they released that. And Holy Diver was one of those games that I've been wanting to get my hands on. But the uh, Famicom cartridge has jumped up in price since it's... Again, it's, an, it's a... I don't want to call it rare, but it's an uncommon game. It's sort of hard to get a hold of. So uh, I got that for for my Nintendo, and I got uh, the R-Type Collector's Edition for my Super Nintendo. And they're releasing these on the cartridges, so you get a cartridge that goes and plays in your real Nintendo, in your real Super Nintendo. But they've continued this trend, and they've been doing it for a while with some other games. They've got a Data East collection. They've got a Brawlers collection. Uh, a lot of these are—the cartridges really look unique. 
I've been debating about whether I want to get them or not because some of the games I already have. I have some of the collection, but I don't have the whole collection uh, with me. But one of the companies they paired up was Data East. Another one was IREM. And uh, they just paired up with another company, and I don't remember their name, for some of these other re-releases. So I want to talk about this because this is some of the big stuff for me. So not only do they have the Sega Genesis contract to make the controllers, but they are making a tribute controller for the N64. Now, I think Hyperkin also has, and I think they're already out, tribute controllers for the N64. Now, what is a tribute controller? Well, these are based off of the original Hori N64 design controllers. So instead of having the Nintendo wacky middle piece where the uh, analog stick is at... They made them a normal size controller. Actually, they're, they're a bit smaller than uh, an N64 controller is traditionally. And they've squished it together. They moved the D-pad and the analog stick into areas that are um, more natural for you to hold. And the thing is, with Hori controllers, because they're such high quality, um, they're usually pretty expensive in the aftermarket. I have like one Hori controller that uh, I didn't even know was a Hori controller until I pulled it apart to, to clean it. Uh, and then I looked at the board and it said Hori on it. Um, and I already have a Retro Fighters uh, uh, N64 controller that I haven't really spent a whole lot of time with. Uh, but that they took the, again, they took another design with it. They took a more modern design approach to like uh, PS4 or Xbox One uh controller design and they put that into an N64 controller uh, so it's more comfortable co to control. Uh, one of the big things with N64 controllers is that the actual analog stick ends up rubbing out the bottom of the, there's like a little cup that that has to sit into and, it, and the stick itself is just slightly longer than the cup and it ends up over time uh, rubbing the bottom of that cup and then wearing that out and so you'll find a lot of native uh, OEM N64 controllers where the analog stick is shot, and that's why. Um, so I've gone through with some of my controllers and I've modded them. There is a unit that you can... The, the whole analog unit is, is one piece, so you can remove that whole unit uh, and modular piece and replace that. And I've replaced... I've got one controller that I've done that with where they have taken a more uh, GameCube-style analog stick... And I've in, I've inserted that, and I've made made a controller do that. And I've also got the Retro Fighters. Um, I don't know how to explain it other than just like a two-handed controller versus that weird third prong that's on the N64 controller. But these are going to be based off of the Hori ones, which are, if you're getting the originals, I believe they're pretty expensive. And they're really hard to find. But uh, Hyperkin already has theirs. Uh, my, my thing is that I, I really want to support Hyperkin, but I just have not been impressed with their quality control. Uh, and I'm hoping that the Retrobit tribute controllers are going to be, uh, pretty solid. And I'd like to pick one up relatively soon. I think they're out now. I think you can go buy one now, but I, they're close to around 30 bucks. So if you're a big N64 player, I think it's probably worth checking these out. I would like, I'd really like to get the Sega Genesis, um, see-through blue controller and I want to get this tribute controller maybe in red I think that would be cool but I'm not here to just talk about controllers which are really cool but Retrobit has been knocking out the video game stuff like tremendously so 
I've got a list of games that I want to talk about. The first one being Metal Storm. Metal Storm is another game that I, that one came out late in the Nintendo lifespan, so there's not very many copies out there. It's one of the more expensive games. Again, it's uncommon. It's not rare, but it is uncommon. Uh, and when you find it, it's I think it's commanding a price over $100. Uh, but they're coming out with a Metal Storm. Uh, they're coming out with two versions of it. There's going to be a Collector's Edition, and then there's going to be one for more players. So I think the Collector's Edition is going to run around $70 to $80, and then the, the normal one's going to be about $40. Bucks. $44, $40, somewhere around that price range. That's perfect for me. Metal Storm is a game that I've been wanting to have in my Nintendo collection for a long time. I just haven't been able to afford it. Now I can finally get it. Um, and that's an IRM game. So that's that goes along with their... So IRM was the same company that did um, R-Type and they did uh, Holy Diver. So now they've got Metal Storm coming. So I can't... Oh, I'm so excited about Metal Storm. If you've never played it... Uh, Metal Storm, you, you play a robot mech, and then you have the control of gravity. So you can jump and then swap, swap gravity and start walking on the ceiling. And the, that whole, the whole game is based off of that you know, principle of, of jumping and, and switching gravity and stuff like that. It's super cool. Really, really cool game. Uh, graphically, is just amazing. It looks really great. Probably because it did come out in the... In the uh, last portion of the the NES life cycle, so they were really, really making use of the machine, uh, making use of the NES hardware to make these games look fantastic. Probably one of the best death animations you'll ever see. This this explosion is so anime. Uh, it and I don't know how many frames it is, but it just looks fantastic. It's almost as good as like uh, no, I'm gonna say it's better than the uh, Batman. NES death where he turns where he turns into like this weird fire of uh, of the bat symbol. Um, this explosion is just fantastic. The whole game is just amazing. So Metal Storm, look at look for that. They don't have a release date on it yet, but they're they're going to have those two editions. Something else that they're doing is Hammering Harry, Hammer and Harry, which never came out in the U.S. and Undercover Cops, which is another game that never came out in the U.S. Um, I've been wanting to play Hammer and Harry. Uh, that's that's going to be a Super Nintendo as well as hardware. Uh, Undercover Cops is also going to be Super Nintendo. Um, two games that I believe those are Data East games. Undercover Cops I actually have a bootleg version of, and uh, it's really fun. It's a beat 'em up, uh, and they do some ridiculous stuff. Like you could pull up like these cement pillars and whack people with them. Um, but it's it's actually a pretty fun beat 'em up, worth definitely worth taking a look at, especially for someone who's into like Final Fight uh, or Streets of Rage and stuff like that. This is a really fun game to play. Hammer and Harry, I believe, is more of a platformer. I've seen it, but I've never played it. But it's been one that I've been wanting to play for a while, and I think there's a Hammer and Harry for the NES. But this is uh, this is the one that's going to be for the Super Nintendo. I believe he's like a construction worker, and he has a giant mallet. And he just whacks people with the mallet. It looks really fun. So I might end up picking up that one too. But these were games that were never released for the Super Nintendo. They were only on the Super Famicom. But here's where things get really interesting. So for a while, like I said, Retrobit's been doing Nintendo and Super Nintendo games. Now they're going to dip their toe into Sega games. And the list of games that they have for the Sega Genesis is amazing. 
So the first one, I'm going to talk about some... All of these are essentially reissues. Um, and I think they all came out in the U.S. with the exception of one of them. And I'll talk about that. So the first game is Truxton. I absolutely love Truxton. So if you are someone who loves uh, shooters, and when I say shooters, I'm talking about like shoot 'em ups uh, Truxton is one of my favorites. In fact, uh, it, it the game is kind of expensive. And what I ended up doing was buying the Japanese Mega Drive version of the game, which is Tatsujin. And what's really funny is that Tatsujin and Truxton, uh, it, it's, it's the same game. But unlike a lot of Japanese games that are stuck in, in Japanese, I have a way of um, making my systems either Japanese or American or English. And if you put it in J uh, Japanese, it sh shows up as Tatsujin. But if I put it, uh, if I set my systems up as uh, as North American, it shows up as Truxton. So it's just a, I don't know how they do it, but you, I like I said, I can set the different regions on. Uh, I have a couple systems that I can set and change region settings on, and uh, I just find it fascinating that I can do that with uh, with Truxton. But it's a shoot 'em up. They're fantastic. I don't remember the name of the company that that releases those. But there's a whole line of them, and so Truxton is is the first one. So, Truxton, amazing game, so fun, really good, uh, really smooth. Uh, it's got like this skull bomb that like uh, that like clears the area. It's so if you do the bomb move, you see this giant skull flash across the screen. It's really cool. Um, another so the all these games are shooters, and I'm about to talk about the next one is Zero Wing. Now, Zero Wing might be familiar to some of you people because this was the this was the meme to like start all memes. This is the all your base are belong to us. And the thing is that yeah, it was a meme, but the the thing is is that Zero Wing is a fantastic game. It's amazing. Uh, and so much fun to play. The next two games are Hellfire and Fire Shark. And to be honest with you, I've never played them, so I don't know much about them. Um, but I've I've been told, you know, from the screenshots that I've seen and some of the video footage I've seen of them, they play a lot like Truxton. So I'm really, uh, I, I'm actually kind of wanting to get those as well. Uh, just because I don't have Hellfire or Fire Shark and I've never played them. But I've played Zero Wing and I have Truxton. And those games are tip top amazing this brings me to my last game that they're going to bring out um now i believe this was a physical release in japan but this was only released on the sega channel in the united states so what the sega channel was is uh, this attachment that you would hook up to your genesis and you would plug in a, a coaxial cable and you could essentially download temporarily download a uh, a video game onto the cartridge, onto the ROM. Um, and it would take, from what I understand, it would take forever. So like they would broadcast a tone and that tone would like download the game to the system. And then apparently like when you turn the system off, that game was gone. So in order to keep it, you would have to keep your system on. I believe that's how it worked. But there were a couple games that were uh, on the Sega channel that was exclusive to the Sega channel. And I have one of them. Uh, I have a bootleg of it, uh, a game called Pulse Man, which is a really good game and should have been released physically. Uh, maybe they, hey, Retrobit, release Pulse Man. Do a, do a, 
Pulse Man uh, re-release. That would be amazing. But this game is relatively popular um, and has become one of the games that's more accessible these days in the U.S. market. But this is Mega Man The Wily Wars for the Sega Genesis. Um, so what this is is a collection of Mega Man 1, 2, and 3, all available on one cartridge on the Genesis. Now, like I said, I think in Japan they got a release on the Mega Drive, but for the U.S. market, we only got it for the Sega channel, and not everybody had it. I remember looking through trying to uh, trying to get the Sega channel. It was one of those things that I had I had been mowing lawns and watering lawns and saving up money and talked to my cable company. I was like, hey, are we getting the Sega channel? And they're like, yeah, we're going to get the Sega channel. And uh, after months and months and months of calling and harassing and, and trying to get an answer out of them, they, they always did the, well, it's a possibility. It went from being like, yeah, we're going to get it to, eh, it's a possibility. But the Sega channel never came to my area, so I never got to experience it. But it was something that I really wanted to play, really wanted to do. Uh, but now you can play uh, Mega Man The Wily Wars on the Sega Genesis, uh, thanks to Retrobit with an official re-release of the game. Uh, you can get bootlegs of these relatively easy. I do have a bootleg of the uh, Wily Wars. I'll be honest with you, I'm not a big fan of the of the controls. They're not that good. Uh, not as sharp as the NES versions, the original NES versions of the game. But uh, yeah, that's it for Retrobit stuff. And honestly, Retrobit is going to have... Oh, you know what? I am missing a really crucial thing. Uh, Retrobit is also doing a sort of uh, Sega Nomad type device. So if you're not familiar with the Sega Nomad, it was a portable Sega Genesis. Very similar to the Game Gear. Uh, it used a lot of the same parts. But instead of being uh, based off of the Master System architecture, it used the Sega Genesis architecture. It was kind of a big bulky device, but really cool in concept that you could play these games... Uh, and take them with you and they're remaking that and I kind of want that too I really want one of those as well uh, and it looks pretty good there's some things that I'm a little sketch on uh, they said that it's a 16 by 9 screen uh, aspect ratio so the games may be stretched if they're stretched I kind of don't want it but if they have a 4-3 aspect ratio switch or something that they can make those games play in the correct aspect ratio, I will be all over this thing because I really want a portable Genesis. Even though I probably could just go and emulate that somewhere, I, I just really want to have this like Genesis device that's... I want the Genesis device, Kirk. Uh, no, I'm just like... Sorry, my brain's going all over the place. Really excited about that, too. Uh, it's really just a cool... Uh, cool throwback. I'm glad they're doing one because I think Nomads are kind of expensive these days. Uh, but yeah, a Genesis Nomad type device. They're not calling it a Nomad, even though they have the, the official Sega license to do so. Uh, but it's probably going to operate, have a lot better battery life and have a lot better screen resolution, even though it may be in 16.9 aspect ratio instead of the 4.3. But if it is in 4.3, or you can control it to be a 4.3 aspect ratio, uh, that will be super cool and worth having. But yeah, that's all the Retrobit, man. Retrobit really, like I said, has been knocking it out of the park with all of these games. Uh, I can't wait to, uh, you know, here's what, I, here's what I'm going to plan out. So Metal Storm is an instant yes, I'm getting that. It doesn't matter 
<laughs> it doesn't matter. I'm getting Metal Storm. I don't know if I'll get the full collector's edition. I do have the collector's edition of uh, the R-Type collection and for um, uh, Holy Diver, but I don't. I didn't really necessarily need them, but that was the only way that they were selling them was through that. Uh, with Metal Storm, if you get the full collector's edition, there's like a, a statue that you get along with a bunch of pens and things like that, I think. Um, but I don't need all that. I just want the game. I'm, I'm such a game player. I want the game. So Metal Storm is a definite yes. Hammer and Harry is a definite yes. Undercover Cops, I already have. I don't need it. Truxton, if I didn't have it, would be a yes, but I have the original Tatsujin, so I'm... Um, I'm good with that. Zero Wing, I have a bootleg of, so I might pick up Zero Wing because it's just that good. Um, and I'm really curious about Hellfire and Fire Shark. Depending on how uh, how the pricing is on these, I might end up picking up both of those. And Mega Man: The Wily Wars, really great to have if you're a Genesis collector. If you're someone who really loves the Genesis and you've never played it, pick up this version of it it should be good because they're, they're doing these complete in box. They've got the plastic box. They've got the instruction manual. They've got everything that you would want to have with these. Um, but, and I think Mega Man's coming in with a, uh, see-through blue cartridge as well. So it's a special cartridge. Um, but I don't need it. I have the bootleg of it. I've played it. I'm not super impressed with it. Like I said, the controls are a little bit too loose for me to, to really enjoy the games like I do on the NES. But, um, if, if you are a Mega Man fan and you're a Genesis fan and you've never played it, I think it's worth I think it's worth it for you. Um, but I'm not I, I like Mega Man, but it's not one of those things that I'm just overwhelmed with. Like I, I have to play the latest Mega Man game. I like him. I'm more of a Castlevania dude, so that's kind of where I stand with it. But that's really all the video game stuff I really wanted to talk about. So this last portion of it. So if you if you came for video game stuff, you guys are welcome to uh, split. <laughs> this podcast might be over for you, but I do want to make an announcement and something that I think is going to affect this podcast quite a bit because um, uh, I'll be I'll be kind of splitting my time between the podcast and this, and I'm going to be using the podcast for a certain bit of it. So uh, one of the things that I've been wanting to do do for a long time is actually look into um, collectors and why we collect and, and that type of stuff. And I've gotten it in my head that I want to do a documentary. So over the past few months, I've been uh, coming up with ideas for this documentary and I've been buying equipment, uh, camera equipment. This is going back to when I visited Dave uh, last Sunday and uh, trying out this this lens that he had. So I have begun the early stages of pre-production on this particular uh, documentary. And I've been testing equipment and learning how to film and, you know, uh, make a shot look good and all that stuff just so I could put this documentary together. And I want to share the process with you guys Part of the reason is because it helps me stay motivated to do the project because it's going to happen in pieces. I'm a working dude like everybody else, uh, so I have a 9-to-5 job that absolutely wears me out during the week. I've got family stuff and, and normal you know, house maintenance and things like that that I have to do. But on top of that, I like doing the podcast and I want to do this documentary as well. And so uh, that's what I've been doing is uh, over the past few weeks as 
other things have been going on in the background. I've also been ordering camera equipment and things like that. Uh, cameras, microphones, and whatnot. And I've got my first interview coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and I'm really excited to do that. So uh, I've, got a, <laughs> I've got a GoPro Hero 7 that should be showing up tomorrow. Uh, and I'll have to test that out, but it shoots in. There's been a lot of stuff that I've been experimenting with, and one of them is that I've been reading that you need to shoot in 24 frames, and I don't know what it is about 24 frames, but it looks fantastic. It looks amazing. So that's what your 24 frames per second is what your television shows and your movies are usually shooting at, and I don't know what it does to the image. I don't know why the image looks the way it does, but I've been shooting in 24 frames on this camera that I have, and it looks fantastic. And I've got a really great lens for it. I'm going to go out and get another one, uh, hopefully later on in the month. Uh, but yeah, I'm starting to put this project together. So I'm going to be talking about it a lot. And I may, I may talk about the project sometimes when I don't really have a lot of video game stuff to talk about. Uh, and so I just want to let you guys know that's what's going on. But if you are someone who is interested in uh, talking about collections because it's not really about people's collections it's more about our mentality behind collecting why so many people uh, collect things why do we collect toys comic books video games and whatnot i'm really interested into the psychology and why we're doing what we're doing why are we a generation of people who have collections because most of the people i know have some form of collection uh and that's, you know, and we share a bond over that, even though, for example, Dave has a, a very massive Star Wars collection. I have a game collection, but, um, but we don't, we don't, we're not running in the same circles collection wise, but we are two people who have two very different interests and we both have collections based on those interests. Um, and for me, it's one of those things like I question it sometimes because I have, a bunch of games and not a lot of space. And for me, I could essentially just fill a retro pie with a lot of these games and just play them on that. But I like having the physical media. I like having these consoles. I like having the controllers. Um, I, you know, I, I like having the televisions to the old school tube TVs to, to play these on. So that's what I want to explore. And I've, I've already got uh, some interviews lined up. I'm still planning out things. Like I said, this is very much in the pre-production stage. But if you're interested and you want to help in some way, or if you have an interesting story um, that, that may apply to this, um, you can email me at retroreprise at protonmail.com. Uh, I've just recently changed my email because my Gmail is getting way too fill way too full with stuff um uh some ancillary stuff that i uh, for some reason can't get cleaned up so uh for business inquiries now even though uh my voiceover chick she's going to sit there and tell you to to hit me up at retro reprisal at gmail.com if you're really interested in this project um and you may have something to contribute then uh email me at retro reprise at protonmail.com but that's going to wrap it up and I'm going to spend some more time at another podcast talking about some of the things that I've been doing as far as acquiring equipment and what am I doing to put this together on a very shoestring budget. Um, but that's going to wrap up this episode and I want to thank you guys for joining me. Thanks for hanging out. 
thanks for supporting me through all the stuff that's been going on with my mom. I really do appreciate it. Um, I do want to spend a couple a couple seconds here shouting out uh, the 2BT podcast. Thank you, Dave and Michael, for letting me hang out with you last Sunday. It was so much fun. And I want to thank Dennis from Nerdy Legion for the Transformers. Thank you for Soundwave and Blaster and all the little cassette guys that I don't know all the names to, but I will try to learn. Um, but guys, thank you so much for hanging out. Thanks for listening, and I will see you next week. Retro Reprise is hosted and produced by Adam SL, published by NerdyLegion.com. Visit YouTube.com forward slash Retro Reprise. Follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Retro Reprise. For business inquiries, email the show at retroreprisal at gmail.com. Game over.